0: and welcome to another episode of SFP now right here on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. Joining me tonight as usual is my uh, good old trusty sidekick Ben. How you doing Ben? And also joining us is um writer, poet and um you know, g- general sci-fi fan uh Dave Hartley. How you guys doing? Hello. hello, I'm Dave. Um yeah, I'm doing
1: well. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh inviting me on on to this to to the podcast I'm really excited to just chat about everything it's going to be really good fun so thanks for having me
2: I'm good thanks Ian yeah no it's exciting to have Dave on and um, you know chatting to the both of you a bit later on um it's interesting because i've worked with dave on a couple of sort of things and some of his awesome courses but um mm. we still haven't actually met have we dave yet in person
1: which... no we haven't no <laughs> we haven't met in person we were we were going to because we, we yeah as you say, we have done like these uh creative writing courses together and, and the initial idea when i started them was that we were going to do them in in the real in the flesh yeah and then pandemic happened and that didn't happen so yeah it's all been uh it's all been online but uh but it's been fun, nevertheless.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think you'll probably agree with me. It's quite sort of fitting that, um, you know, two fans of sort of sci fi and stuff have ended up living in a sci fi sort of virus world, which is horrendous from actually meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's been a bit like a sci fi film, hasn't it, the past? It,
1: it past really has, yes. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's really weird. Yeah. So, um, just so that um, everybody knows what we're expecting, um, for the first 20 minutes, um, I'll just be chatting to Dave i'm just going to chat to dave about um his writing um his work and the sort of things that he's interested in and um some of his stories and some of which i've read and reviewed um for various sort of literary websites and things like that and then um following that for about 25 minutes um, myself dave and ian will be discussing autistic representation and elements of the. Um, fantastic autistic which is sort of Dave's speciality Um, a term he's going to tell us a bit more about in the first half and in the last 15 minutes we're going to chat to Dave about um, his favourite stuff you know shows writers things like that you know things that got him interested in science fiction in in the first um, place so as I say you know I've not met Dave in person yet you know but we sort Hmm. of got to know each other pretty well um, over the courses that we've done and stuff like that Dave Recently, was it last year, David, you published your PhD?
1: Um, yeah, well, it was actually earlier this year. Um, I finished the PhD in uh, February and then I kind of got the um, the thesis from the PhD. I put it up in kind of, I think it was in March, I think. Um, so yeah, that that all finished at the, at the sort of top of this year, uh, which was a great relief to do because it was four years of my life, and so it was nice to get it uh, to get it all finished and, and packed up. I'm sure it was. Yeah, apologies, Jeff, yeah, for getting the date wrong. Oh, that's yeah, all right. But, um, either late last year, or um, I know it was published this year, but I wasn't sure when it when it was finished. Um, yeah, it gets quite complicated at the end of PhDs because you sort of finish it and then submit it, and then you wait for a good like three months while your examiners read it, and then you have a kind of exam, and that's when it's like a Officially finished, so it's uh, yeah, it gets a bit messy at the end, but uh, yeah, that was that's what happened at the top of this year, yeah. Um, oh, to Dave's sort of prolific output you know his um, <laughs>
2: PhD thesis and his sort of like numerous fiction books um, I've got the difficult job of trying to squeeze all that in in about 20 minutes so <laughs> um, I think um, maybe the best thing to do Dave is um, yeah. I've read the first 50 pages of the PhD you know wow. 100% I haven't got round to finishing it yet um, I found it fascinating and interesting um, Thank um, you. As, as a document I think it's brilliant but um, I think you would do a much better job than I will be able to do succinctly of sort of trying to tell people what it's about. Yeah, you don't mind
1: doing that, Dave. Yeah, I can do that absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my PhD was a little bit complicated. It was a creative writing PhD, so there were there were actually two two elements to it. Um, one was a a novel, a full proper novel, uh, which is now written and finished, and it, it sadly hasn't hasn't found the light of day yet it hasn't found a publisher yet so it's not out there and people can't read it as such yet um but i'm still i'm working on that i'm, just, I'm trying to get it um, i'm trying to get it published and then the second part of it the other part of it was a thesis as well and the thesis will be the thing that you've you've had a look at then already and yeah i absolutely wasn't expecting you to read the whole thing i mean it's pretty long and quite involved but it's uh, yeah so and the whole um the whole idea behind the, the whole project, so both the novel and the thesis, was to look at, uh, broadly speaking, to look at representations of autism um, in science fiction and fantasy. Uh, so the the title of the thesis is The Fantastic Autistic. Um Uh, Well, actually, the full title is The Fantastic Autistic Divergence, Estrangement, and the Neuroqueer Screen in Blade Runner and Community. Um, But so what the thesis basically does is is it takes a a kind of in-depth look at the relationship between autism and the fantastical and, you know, what what the kind of the, the benefits of that relationship are and what are some of the drawbacks of that relationship. And then it kind of expands a bit further out, where it starts to think about how we can think about um, particularly sci-fi and fantasy film and and TV, how that kind of matches up a little bit with um, kind of autistic expression. So I started getting really interested not only in how is autism represented, but also how how does how do autistic people now autistic creatives. Um, Express themselves and how how is that done creatively within uh, within fiction, but also within film. So my novel ended up going getting quite complicated and getting quite experimental as I started to try and think about um, uh, ways of expressing autism as well as ways of of, of representing it. And I will just say as well, it's, I think it's always important for me to say at the beginning of things like this um, that I myself I don't consider myself to be autistic. I came to this project because um, my older sister Jenny is autistic, and uh, I've always been really interested in autism, autism as a topic because of Jenny. And uh, part of the reason why I started this, and part of the reason why it turned into a, uh, such a massive project and into a PhD, was because I was really interested uh, interested in uh, to what extent Jenny's autism and her sort of view on life has impacted and influenced. Me as a creative and as a writer, and that's the kind of starting point that that I took for for the novel, um, and that's and it sort of just grew and grew from there and expanded and expanded, and I and I started reading all of this really wonderful stuff about about autism and about um, neurodiversity and the neurodiversity movement, and I started reading a lot more uh, books by autistic writers, so novels, but poetry, but also academic work as well. And it just completely opened my mind to this entirely, uh, this completely different world and completely different worldview. And for me, I I sort of started to see science fiction and fantasy as ways in which you can kind of explore that alternative way of thinking and being. Um, And yeah, and it was really exciting and it was a really fun uh, project to do. And I got involved with all sorts of different things over the past four years and met lots of uh, wonderful people and got involved with lots of like really interesting events, like autism-based conferences and things like that. And then I guess the only other thing to say about the thesis is, yeah, that it's like it has two kind of case studies, which we might talk a little bit more about uh, today. Uh, one of them being Blade Runner, which is one of my favourite films of all time, and I, I kind of look at Blade Runner from a from a, a fact, quite a new point of view in terms of Blade Runner I don't think anyone's ever looked at Blade Runner in terms of autism before and then the other text was Community which is the TV mm-hmm. sitcom Abed yeah Abed that's it yes Abed Abed Nadir from from Community mm-hmm. Abed uh, is a so for people who are not familiar with Community Community is a um, American sitcom uh, that ran between 2009 and 2015 um, really great show Like really, really funny really clever really well written uh, written by Dan Harmon um, who later went on to write um, Rick and Morty. And it has this character in it, Arbed, Arbed Nadir, and he's, he's like one of the main characters. And he's just like, for me, hands down, just one of the most wonderful autistic characters that's ever been created. He's just an absolute joy. And I found that in that show, there was a lot of, they used, um, well, a lot of Arbed's narratives, a lot of Arbed's stories were sort of based around fantasy and science fiction. Mm-hmm. So I uh, that, that, was, that was why that, that show became interesting for yeah, me in I, my project.
0: Um, I actually am autistic and I have a diagnosis and, and everything and I actually work with other autistic people as well so <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd snip that one in there. Yeah,
2: um, I strongly suspect that I am and I've always sort of been, um, you know, I don't know what I'm drawn to autistic people but I've always felt a sort of affinity, etc, etc et and also um, something else that I found in your Sort of PhD is, I found it, you know, a deeply sort of human document to look at. I've only looked at the first 50 pages, and by no means do I consider myself someone qualified to assess a PhD thesis. <laughs> you know, I did a little bit of critical theory in my undergrad degree, um, which is the highest level of education that I have. But in academic writing that I've read, and I do enjoy academic writing, you know, aspects of it, um, sometimes it maybe can be a bit dry. I often feel that aspect is missing of the sort yeah. of human element. Um, not not only in the register it's written in, but it can be very, very, very prescriptive, I think. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I found yours very, 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 the first 50 pages that I've read, very engaging. Um, and I found that it was clear to me. I felt there was a lot of creative aspects to it, which I don't know if you're aware of or not, if you tried to make it like that. One of them I want to pick up on in a minute, which I thought was great. But um, I felt that you'd really written it with autism in mind in terms of sort of trying to as someone who strongly suspects the autistic I didn't find it difficult to read in um, the first I think it's in the first three or four pages after, in the actual after the introduction and um, in the main theses the, um, the bit about Asperger's that is crossed out and the footnote in it explaining why I oh, thought yeah. that was a, a really 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 sort of clever poetic way To make your point, Dave, I really valued that a lot. You know, I felt that, in a way, that was a perfect paradigm for showing what autism, how autism is managed by a lot of people that aren't autistic.
1: Mm. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And I I, I thank you for everything that you've been saying about the thesis so far. I mean, it's really nice to hear that it, you know, that it reads uh, with, as you say, with a kind of, uh, a bit of humanity and and that's always been my my approach to actually to academia and academic writing because i often find a lot of academic writing to be really really dry and really uh, you know uh, off-putting in many ways and very subject uh, very objective rather than being subjective and not really kind of and it can be quite off-putting and i've i've never liked that so i've always tried to make my my writing as rich and as and as warm as possible and you know this is a very personal project and it, and it comes from my connection with my sister so i had to sort of do her proud and and make sure that she's uh, you know properly represented and for me that means weaving her energy into it in a in a sort of way um but yeah about that that crossing out so um yeah, that was one of the things. Yeah, I mean, all the way through the thesis, there's just little, little moments like that where uh, I just sort of, I'm using sort of tiny little techniques to just sort of indicate towards uh, how you can, how things are a bit different, and how you can write a little bit differently. And just to sort of explain that Asperger thing, so the um, the thesis talks about, you know, it does. There's a whole sort of section which talks about how um, how. How I sort of define autism in a way, I think I find it. I mean, it's difficult to define autism anyway, but the, I have to be very careful about the language that I use throughout the thesis because it's it's actually really important that you get the the language correct when talking about autism and autistic people. Um, and it's very easily, you know, it's very easy to do it wrongly. But it's um, yeah, it, it's something that I have to be very careful about. And one of the things that came up whilst I was doing the research um, during the four years was this this issue with Asperger. And um, Asperger, uh, just a little historical context, Hans Asperger was one of the people who sort of coined the term autism back in 1944. Um, And by all accounts, he was quite a good... um, You know, physician, and he was quite nice to his patients, and so on, to a to a certain degree. Um, And then, yeah, and and off the back of that, in more recent years, uh, there's been a kind of variation of autism that was that's been given the term Asperger's syndrome. And there's a lot of people that use the the term Asperger's syndrome and still refer to themselves as as being Asper, you know, having Asperger's or being an Aspie. well, there have they have developed quite a few problems with that term. One of which being that it's been recently discovered that Asperger um, may well have been actually collaborating with the Nazis because um, he was working in Vienna in 1944 under the under the Nazi regime. Whilst you know the Nazis were involved in Austria, uh, and they sort of let him continue on with his work. And now there's these. There's this kind of cloud over it a little bit, so that term has become a bit tricky. So I, I sort of had to sort of indicate that a little bit, I think, in um, at the beginning of the of the thesis. And there's a lot of that sort of thing going on there, where you just have to signal that the importance of talking about autism in the correct way, really.
2: Brilliant, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that line people, period, that you put through it—that sort of almost was a physical representation of that cloud. And yeah it was sort of saying the term is still largely referred of Asperger's, so he is relevant, but how relevant should that term be? You know, it it sort of encapsulated a lot, and um, he did a fantastic job. Um, Thanks. It was was great, yeah, you know, as I say, um, we're going to get a a feature in the next week or two, and um, if you're more than happy to provide your permission, Dave, then I will um, put in a link of your PhD, yeah, totally. uh, so that our uh, readers can can have a look at it for themselves if they want to. You know, which I'm sure, loads of people would be interested to and fascinated. Yeah. Um, if there's anything else you want to say about your PhD before we move on, feel free. But as I already mentioned, because you're so prolific a writer. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't got all the time in the world, so no, of we have got to go on to some of your fiction work. Um,
1: yep. Unless there's anything else that you feel that you want to say just about your PhD or anything. No, no, no. The PhD, the, the thesis is, can speak for itself. If people want to read it, um, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I'll, I'll refer back to it again as we as we carry on chatting. So yeah, let's let's move on to the writing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you for providing us with a copy of that to read, Dave. You know, that's all right, no problem. So um, the book of yours that I have read. Um, because I know um, you've you've written quite a few. Um, <laughs> is um, Pigskin, which yes. is um, published by the wonderful Fly on the Wall Press, um, which is um, Isabel. Isabel Kenyon. Yeah. Isabel Ken- Kenyon. Yeah. I've just had yeah. a bit of brain fog. Isabel yeah. Kenyon's um, local press. Um, you know, which is a one-person press, which is absolutely awesome. Um, i've read and thoroughly enjoyed pigskin thank you um which is another sort of one of your passions which is um veganism
1: and animal rights yeah. That's right, isn't it dave yeah that's absolutely right yeah yeah um i've written quite a lot of weird short fiction that is similar to pigskin where it's um yeah it's all sort of centered on animals animal welfare animal rights veganism and, and thinking about animals in relation to like the environment and that kind of thing um so yeah that's definitely one of my other preoccupations again um once
2: um i'm waiting for a review of pigskin um, to be published um, by a um literary sort of magazine uh when that is hopefully i'm hoping it'll be in the July edition but it is i'll let you know again, i'll make that available you know in a future feature on a sci-fi pulse article um but having read that um a a good two or three times to review it um i sort of feel that i've only read some of your work so again sort of like i don't want to sort of get above my station or whatever but i think you've got a real skill to put yourself in the position of what people that don't have a voice and i think that your natural passion to do that really comes through in your writing and it's an inspiration to sort of someone like myself as a Mm -hmm. aspiring creative writer to think, well, what shall I write about? Not only what I know, which is what people say a lot, but also what I care about, you know? Yeah. And it's quite clear that if you're going to try and put together something like a PhD thesis, which in my opinion you've done amazingly, bloody difficult to get published <laughs> anyway, and so is fiction.
1: Um, I think to give you that drive, it's got to be something that you're interested in, really. Definitely. And yeah, and I and I very much learned that. I mean, um, yeah, I started writing years ago, but it wasn't until I started writing about something that I really cared about, which which was animals and animal rights. So I was, this was a period of time when I was kind of moving into becoming a vegetarian and then going into becoming vegan and I was getting involved with uh, animal charities and things like that. So I was thinking a lot about animals and I was getting frustrated and annoyed about some of the ways in which humans treat animals and I just thought well funnel that into my writing and it just completely transformed my writing it made it 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 gave me a new energy for for the fiction and then that helped to then when I then moved on to doing the PhD and talking writing about autism you know I took that kind of energy with me because I just thought well yeah this is the way to do it write about something that you really care about and you really want to 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 express you know and both animals and animal rights and exploring autistic point of views was kind of part of that same um yeah part of that same branch really i think
0: i quite like the i quite like the description of the um, of the book where it says a bastardization of orwell's animal farm for a vegan yes. age angry weird yeah. disturbing and terrifying this is a tale <laughs> to make you squirm and reconsider that that's quite ominous
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's definitely a fair description yeah, yeah it is um, you know, I, I thought it was a, it was a really, really, really engaging book, um, really, 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 really dark as well. Very and, dark. Um, I yeah. think interestingly dark, and, and I think it's um, it's always interesting when you know someone who's written someone. I feel like it's a different dynamic to read it, and um, you know, you're an amazing guy, and to you know, I don't know, you know, it's I don't wanna, I don't want to say I want to expect you to write something <laughs> like that dark because that's. Big. Sort of a cliche, you know, but I, yeah. I, I don't know. I it exposed like, I the dark I side of it. Yeah, but I think <laughs> that, that's that's, um, you know, that that that's what drives you and stuff, you know. And um, it was like walking into your mind almost, sort <laughs> of.
1: Um, well, it was. I mean, Pigskin, I think, is probably the darkest and most horrific story I've written, I think. I, I, I have. I do tend to write horror and, and I do tend to err on the darker side of fantasy and sci-fi when I'm in my own writing. Um, but Pigskin was the one where I really went for the, the ho- most horrible side of things. Um, and that was quite deliberate because it was, you know, it is about, it's basically kind of about industrial farming and it is a Oh uh, it's it's animal it's animal fight all Wales animal farm but in an industrial farming setting and it was something that i you know was getting passionate about so it did and i and it, for me when i ever think about industrial farming as a, you know as a vegan i think about animals being slaughtered and being killed i mean immediately that's just that's just horror that is just like pure horror on earth i mean i would defy anybody to walk into an abattoir or a slaughterhouse somewhere and not look around and think god this is just a this is just pure horror and um, so i kind of wanted to tap into a, a bit of that really with pigskin yeah no i felt you definitely did you know um what? it was fantastic and um i'm
2: only comfortable to use the word weird fiction because you've called it that yourself so I hope <laughs> you <definitely laughs> be, no that's great um referring that but tell us a little bit about what you've got coming up just before we move on to the next section of the show yeah. we see yourself and talking about autistic representation isn't it in um september isn't it in the autumn that your next collection is due out yes well i'm
1: having quite a complicated year this year so i'm having um i'm actually having three books published so pigskin was the first one i've just had another one published which is a collection of um Uh, flash fiction which is called Incisisms Uh, that's been published by Arachne Press and that's a collection of just weird little dark twisted tales they're all very very short um, and they're kind of a a little bit less sort of they're kind of loosely connected they're sort of about hauntings and possession and all sorts of things Um, and then in September I'm back again with with Fly on the Wall, who did Pigskin, they are publishing um, a book called Fauna, which is a collection of weird fiction, um, sort of sci-fi fantasy and horror stories, similar to Pigskin, they're, they're, they're all about animals. And in fact, actually, Pigskin originally was part of that collection, but we decided to take Pigskin out now and put something else into the main collection. Um, and that's yeah, and that's coming out in September. I'm really excited about that because it's like an accumulation of uh, the various stories I've written down the years about animals. And there's, you know, in much the way, same way that pigskin is about a pig. There's a there's a story in the fauna that's about there's a kind of a, a dog story. There's a horse story. There's a whale story. There's a bird story. And uh, there's a guinea pig story. So there's like it's a it's a real menagerie of weird tales about animals. So, yeah, and that's coming out in September. It's going to be great.
2: And uh, I'm also looking forward to reading that. Um, <laughs> Isabel, Kenyon from Find the War Press is very good and provides yeah, great. Uh, copies to review. So um, and there's also um, I think there's quite a few other um, dystopic, sci-fi, um, all sorts of sort of um, stories. And longer stories and mostly shorter stories that Sci-Fi Pulse would sort of cover. So we may well be looking at doing work with um, in the Wall Press. So, amazing! Big thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So thanks very much for that day. That was really informative. It's great to hear more about your work. Thanks. And um, at this point, I think I'd like to bring Ian in, and I think it'd be a good point now to sort of look at um, representation and aspects of that and how that works good bits bad bits experiences of it and um, i'm gonna hand over to ian now to say Oops. it's your big moment now ian you know just <laughs> talk about how you feel um about representation of autism you know within the massive sort of breadth of knowledge that you have within sci-fi because of all the people i know if i if it's a film i've not seen or a comic you'd probably be the first guy i would turn to me to ask you know
0: well, you know, I've just been watching *Childhood's End*, uh, which is a um, sci-fi production of um, of um, an Arthur C. Clarke story from a few years mm-hmm. ago. There's no autism representation in it. Um, you know, to be honest, but that's that's what I've been watching. I've made. Um, but as far as representation goes, um, I think I think autism representation for the longest time in science fiction and fantasy uh, on TV on the TV and the big screen. Uh, by and large, for a long time, it's been rather invisible. Um, as in, it's usually been in characters like uh, Data and uh, Mr. Spock in Star Trek. But it's um, in, it's only really in recent years that it's been, been coming coming tonight. And uh, a show that I can think of, which was cancelled a few years back, it was a sci-fi show, it was called Alphas. And basically, Alphas, it's an American superhero drama series it was created by Zach Penn and Michael Cano. Um, and it followed a group of people uh, with superhuman abilities known as Alphas. And in their team, they had um, a character called Gary, who was um, actually, he actually had a diagnosis of um, autism, but his uh, social skills were very, very poor. Um, so, you know, he, he was at that end of the spectrum where the social skills weren't really you know, all that brilliant. But what he what he had a speciality in, um, and it was somewhat of a savant with him, which which is something that you only get in two percent of uh, of people that are autistic, um which uh, which is why Raymond um Rainman which was released back in the day was kind of misleading. Um he's got a speciality in hacking into to cell phone signals and uh Wi-Fi frequencies Without any hardware, <laughs> so so, he can, so he's able to do that without any hardware. Um, and basically, they you know in the description here, and I kind of take objection to this the way to describe this, but here's an American thing after all. They they uh, commonly they commonly refer to it as ASD, autism, um, uh, um, uh, an autism spectrum disorder. Whereas um, you know we use the um, here in the UK we use condition. Which is probably a much better better description, really, because disorder is implying that there's something wrong with us when when there isn't. You know, the the, the only thing thing is, it, you know, it's perceived perceived that there's something wrong with us by other people. It's just because our, our brains are wired a little differently. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. I'm really glad to. I'm really happy to hear you say all of that in because. Um, I completely agree with everything you say. You've said, I have never seen it, Alphas. That's really interesting. I might look that up because um, that sounds like a, a, an interesting show, an interesting representation. But yeah, you're absolutely right. that the, the representation of autism within sci-fi is actually quite few and far between, weirdly. And you're right, it's kind of invisible. You, you sort of – we have to do a lot of kind of interpreting certain characters who tend to be – like data and and spark tend to be robots or, or aliens of some kind and they tend to have this sort of autistic vibe about them where they kind of feel that where autistic people perhaps or autistic autistic fans of those shows tend to connect um, in some way. so i know that there was a lot of like a lot of autistic people connected with the original spark and said okay here's here's a character that That thinks a bit like me and acts a bit like me, and um, and not only that. What was important about Spock was it was not only that he was had a kind of autistic-ish vibe. It was the fact also that he was a kind of hero, like he was a main character. And that was a really important thing, I think, because there just was no representation of of anyone who has a mind like that being, you know, a, a positive and heroic representation. So I think that's why characters like Spock and Data were really useful. Um, in terms of others that I've kind of come across, um, some people talk about Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I found quite interesting was Newt Scamander from uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, um, who I think is really interesting in some ways because he does have a, quite a lot of autistic tendencies. They never name him as being autistic in that in those films, um, but certainly the way he's portrayed by Eddie Redmayne in the in the films. Um, he, ha- he does have some quite interesting, he's quite sort of socially awkward in some ways, but he also has these really intense special passions and interests that he's got, particularly with the, the creatures. But he's also, again, heroic and, and um, uh, you know, someone to look up to. So, yeah, he's an interesting figure. Um, And there are various others, but yeah, it's interesting. But what's interesting is you get a kind of lack of direct representation in sci-fi, like named autism within sci-fi. But it feels like to me that a lot of, and I don't want to be, I'm trying not to be too broad here or too too much of a sweeping statement, but it does feel like that science fiction and fantasy fandoms are quite sort of welcoming spaces for autistic people. Like it seems like autistic people tend to, Find kind of a, a bit of a community and a bit of um, a bit of warmth from kind of sci-fi and fantasy fandom. So it feels like they are genres that are good for autistic people and 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 and, and, and can be very beneficial as as fans, I suppose. Sci-fi itself is a massive term, as much as yeah. autism, is, I suppose.
2: The two terms are there's countless sort you could fill a room with academic books and be written on both of them. Yeah, um, but. I think they're both broad terms. Um, Something that I like feel is I've you know I read sort of I would say I'm quite a heavy reader. I I read sort of on average a book a week, sometimes a couple of books a week. Um, I don't think I've read a great deal of science fiction literature with autism, with representations of autism in it. The one thing I wanted to say about Spock is the one parallel that springs to mind to me is I don't think it's more... I don't think it's as like that nowadays, but traditionally, the big similarity that I think is that if you ask most people that don't watch Star Trek or have watched it a little bit, they say, oh, Spock hasn't got emotions, has he? Yes, he has. He's got very intense emotions.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) why he
2: struggles to control them. And I think that same view for a long time was thought about people with autism as well. Oh, they don't experience emotion. Yeah, we really do. And it's very intense. So I think that aspect is a massive sort of, um, that's the connection I made from sort of like thinking about Spock.
1: Yeah, that's a really good connection actually Ben, and, and I'm really glad you brought that up because that's really true, absolutely true, and there's been a long and, and difficult legacy of, of, autistic, of autistic people being, it being assumed that autistic people don't have empathy, don't have emotions, don't emotionally connect to people, others, which is absolutely nonsense, it's, it's absolutely not the case, and actually many autistic people will say that if anything, can be overly emotional, overly empathetic and like definitely, struggle yeah. struggle to can, sort of contain it or control it or understand like when to express it, yeah.
2: You know? I think it's it was fairly clear to me that the MCU definitely tried to represent that with Drax. Um another one, based on that sort of intensity there's a quote in um, I think it's in one of the Avengers films, you know, I mean there may well be a case of saying the Hulk. It could well be because There's part of where he says to Black Widow, the secret is I'm angry all the time, in which he's saying the world is always hard and somehow I get through it and it's difficult. Mm. Um, So I think the more you look about it, the more you think about it, whether they are deliberate, whether they are obvious, you yourself will know better than I do that you can run the risk of sort of trying to find stuff in academia, you know, and, and make a case for it. but. There's definitely representations to be found
0: there, I think. There's, there's actually quite a bit of artistic representation within comic book me- media. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: for example, uh, Reed Richards uh, from Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. he's, um, he's, supposedly, um, he's supposedly on, on the uh, high functioning artistic side of things. Uh, Bagat Manta from, um, from the Aquaman film, um, yeah. Legion vernon jackson this is quite a few characters but i think some of these characters it's only really come tonight in recent years as in in, in that door kind of written that way um so, so they've only really been assigned the label of artistic in recent years
1: yeah, I think so. Or certainly being recognised. I think one of the important things to say about that. I mean, it's it's really great that those exist, and it's, it's really it's really interesting. But what's uh, what's um, important to note, I think, about certain characters like Reed Richards, and even like uh, uh, Hulk and Bruce Banner, and um, even Newt and, Dra- and Drax and Spock. Actually, all of them. There's a real kind of the, the clear the clear connection between all of those is that they're generally kind of they're all male and they're all a lot of them are kind of white. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are privileged. A lot of them are very rich, and a lot of them are kind of involved with science, right? And I kind of they kind of slightly sort of mad professor, sort of mad scientist kind of trope. Yes. All of which is is fine, but that it, what 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 the problem is there that then you get autism connected with that side of things. And one of the things that's been really interesting things that's been happening recently. So that there's been much more of a move towards considering autism and uh, autism and race and autism and autism and gender and female autism and and actually some of the most interesting uh, autistic writers who are who are working within sci-fi at the moment and have been publishing novels over the past few years and have been featuring kind of autistic pro- protagonists. Quite a few of them are female. Um, my favourites being. Um, Corinne DuVis and her her book On the Edge of Gone, which is a really good sci-fi young adult novel. Uh, Ellie McNichol, who's a UK author, and she's written a sci-fi novel called Show Us Who You Are recently, which is all about holograms. It's a bit kind of Black Mirror-esque, really good book with an autistic protagonist. And then the other one is Ada Hoffman, who's a... Uh, either american or canadian i can't remember and she's written a book called the outside um which again has a a really good strong female protagonist Mm. so there's an interesting move now and and, uh, and it seems like you know sci-fi and fantasy are coming along with that through new authors coming through who are who are writing these characters in and, and addressing this and saying you know autism doesn't doesn't know any kind of doesn't actually have any kind of gender or race boundaries it affects it can affect everyone
0: and anyone yeah. i mean one of my uh one of my jobs um you know because I, I work uh, i work a few different jobs um, one of them that i do is um i'm a peer mentor which oh, basically what what it involves is um we, we've got a lot of adults coming through that have been that have just been diagnosed and um what I do is I I turn up to the um, post diagnostic groups where where they get support and um, they get to talk about their autism and stuff like that, and I'm there as a person with lived experience in the room that can mm. sort of like help facilitate that conversation and get it going. Um, so I'm more or less kind of like their you know their interpreter if you will for the um, for, for the neurotypical contingent of psychologists and. Yeah. And people that are working um, with, with with the groups—that's
1: brilliant. And are you seeing quite a lot of like females coming through, and you know, women and
0: yeah, we've, we've, we've had quite a few women come through. Um, you know, quite quite a high uh, high percentage actually. You know, so like um, right. we typically deal in groups of ten, maybe maybe twelve people. And uh, the last group we did out, of was twelve people, at least four were female. Interesting. Yeah. So it's um it, it it is coming through because um you're right uh for years and years um it was assumed that autism was just a, just a condition that affected boys and and, it, and yeah. it wasn't and also for years and years it was considered as a condition that only affected children. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which was always nonsense, like, what happened to all these, like, autistic children when they grew up? Do they just turn <laughs> into, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's really funny, and and yeah, it's a real problem with, like, uh, a lot of the, the the rhetoric and a lot of the kind of imagery around autism is, is still very child-centred, and actually, you know, we got to think about the, the adults as well. <laughs> and
2: like, I don't know, it seems to me that, like, part of that, again, it's a bit of a broad sweeping statement, but... As soon as you learn to mask it, you're not a problem anymore, so it doesn't right. matter. Yeah,
1: okay, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much, Dave, for, for sort of, sense, you know, um, focusing the conversation on um, more than just sort of white, male, yeah. wealthy autism, um, especially because we're sort of you three white guys having a chat. that's it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Sci-Fi Pulse is um, part of the thing that attracted me right for it is that, you know, Ian's very keen to give Everybody a voice that he can. Um, Dominic's sort of proud to call himself Dominic Walsh. Uh, recently, yeah. interv- recently interviewed Kaylin Bayron, um, author of His Dead, which he probably oh, yeah. heard mm-hmm. Dave, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah.
0: He know, also did. A uh, Fantastic. He also did an interview with Ada Hoffman last year. Did, yeah, so he, did, did. did he? Oh,
1: articles. brilliant! I'll have to read that. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll get you over. We're getting those over,
2: but um, you know, it is um, fantastic to have those. Um, just a, a question I wanted to ask yourself, Dave. You know, because yeah. definitely read far more sci-fi literature than me. Full stop. And also, sci-fi literature written by autistic authors. Um, just before we close this section and move on to sort of stuff that's you know more general sci-fi. Um, I just wondered if you could give us your opinion on what you think are any examples of, I don't want to sort of slay any authors, but good or bad examples that you've read. In, you know, I mean, I know that's a broader, yeah. good or bad, but um, what you think works well and what you think should be avoided, and if you have any
1: examples of, of either of those, you
2: would be welcome.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just turning turning my chair around to look on my uh, bookshelves to get some some inspiration. Yeah, there are. Okay, so there's there's like there's one fairly well known sci-fi um, novel uh, published, I think, in the '90s called Speed of Dark by a writer called Elizabeth Moon. Um, and this one is often put forward as the kind of you know the, the the sci-fi novel about autism and it's an interesting I have like really mixed feelings about this book. It's quite an interesting book. It's got um an, an autistic central character who's pretty pretty well um drawn, I think I think he's quite a good character. Not only that there are there are multiple autistic characters in it as well. He's not the only one and that's sometimes that's really important that it's not just one person because then they can just, they can end up standing in for the entirety of autism, which doesn't really help. So there are actually loads of autistic characters in this book, which is really interesting as well. The whole idea behind the book is that um, it's sort of set in the near future and there's been a, a, a kind of... Uh, Sort of scientific thing has come through that that means that autism can be cured, right? And that people can go undergo brain surgery and they get a, a, a cure for autism, which is a really difficult topic. Like, like yeah. I don't I don't agree with with curing autistic people at all. I think it's it's, it's horrendous, but um, it's still something that that comes up every now and again and is, and is a question mark. And what's interesting about this book is that the main character is having this dilemma of like whether that he wants or doesn't want to get the cure, and that's really interesting question and it's a really interesting thing to explore and i just think it makes the wrong choice at the end i don't want to spoil it for anyone but i just think that the ending is like the ending is quite controversial because i just think the author made the wrong absolutely wrong choice um so there's that one and i've already mentioned yeah um the outside by Ada hoffman which i think is really good on the edge of gone which is really good um I'll mention again, Show Us Who You Are, because I only fairly, very, very recently finished that, uh, and I thought that was absolutely excellent, actually. Probably one of the best books I've ever read about autism. It's for a young adults, so it's, it's really sort of hitting... It's really sort of... It's quite a preachy book in many ways, but it's sort of to, intending to be. And I think the, the main character in that is excellent. The other ones um, that I'm keen on... <laughs> there's, there's, it's interesting. There is a Philip K. Dick novel... Which has an autistic child in it, um, Martian Time Slip, and in some ways, okay. So this was written, I, I think, in the fifties or the sixties. Um, I'd have to check the date. I'm not quite sure, but uh, yeah, Martian Martian Time Slip, and it's quite interesting because it's probably it's probably one of the very first times that autism is used in a in a in a novel. And of course, it's Philip K. Dick, so he's like doing his Philip K. Dick thing, and he's just trying to find as many unusual mental states as he possibly can to cram into all of his books. Um, and there's a lot in there that he gets wrong, obviously. But then to be fair to him, he was writing, you know, not that long yeah, not that long after the actual term was was coined. And so there wasn't very much known about it in that respect. But he does something quite interesting with it. That the, the character in Martian Times. That this this boy, he has this kind of ability to see through time, and he's sort of like he. It's almost as if he sees he sees time speeded up, mm-hmm. and and therefore is able to sort of predict what's going to happen at t- towards the end of the book. And and while it's kind of ridiculous and sort of nonsense in a sort of way, it is quite an interesting idea, and it's quite interesting that 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 Philip K. Dick was really thinking about the experience of autism I think I think he more than anyone more than anything else he was just sort of thinking what could it be like or what would it be like to be autistic and of course Philip K. Dick had his own I think he was probably schizophrenic I think wasn't he Philip K. Dick so he had uh, he had his own sort of mental experiences and I think he was sort of filtering that in so what why I quite sort of like it in a way is because it's sort of what he's done there is he started to think about how autism might be experienced and expressed and i think that's an important thing to understand that it's not just this distant thing to look at but it's actually a lived experience and the more that we can see find use ways uh, literary ways or cinematic ways to express that and explore that i think that 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 makes things better and i actually think that sci-fi in particular and fantasy to a certain extent are particularly well placed for doing that because they're all about they're often focused on different mind states and divergence and difference and seeing things differently and spectacle and awe and uh, wonder. And, that, and actually, that correlates really well with, I think, the autistic way of being in the world. So that's one of the, things, the reasons why I think sci-fi and fantasy are really, really good genres to do this. And I hope that there will be more. Um, more representation in the future. I think there are there are actually, absolutely will be. Actually, I think it will be. Uh, I think there'll be an explosion of it soon. I think. Uh, I think it's sort of.
2: Uh, it's nice sometimes when um, these sorts of conversations that you have, like Mike, me, and yourself earlier on. I feel like this is a a nice point to say that I feel this has come full circle because I think that um, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that you're a big fan of Philip K. Dick. Um, (laughs) I recently reread Total Recall because I saw the 30th edition 4K edition at the cinema when the cinema was opened a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I um, I can't remember who it was. I've got the book in front of me, um, so it's over there. But the person who was introducing the, um, the introduction to the book and the main story, which is the biggest one, is We Can Remember It For Your Wholesale, which is totally oh, yeah. story. Oh, yeah. Story. Um, he talks about sort of Philip K. Dick as being a bear moth of sci-fi. Um, and he sort of says, not the greatest literary stylist, but he's perhaps the most human sci-fi writer. Yeah. And something you said then about finding ways to do it, I feel that it doesn't surprise me at all. As I say, I know I'm repeating myself, that you're drawn to Philip K. Dick because... I think if there is a big explosion to be stuff, I feel that, like, you know, this is your PhD from what I've read seems to be a document for our age, which is, <laughs> you know, finding a new way to talk about things, which, yeah. you know, it's um, there's all these things that are going on anyway. And I think what you do is highlight those and go, okay, I'm going to sort of take A general theory Which is Lots of people With autism Like sci-fi And we're going to Sort of call that A generalisation But then we're going to Drill down And and see why is that Mm. And it's definitely Interesting to sort of Think yeah um,
1: Philip K. Dick It's pretty safe to say Was neurodivergent You know Oh yeah Mm. Definitely I think that's Absolutely the case And um yeah and and that's really nice to hear thanks thanks again for all of your really kind words about my thesis mm-hmm. and my work Ben it's really it's really lovely to hear but you're right and actually what's interesting about that is um uh which might actually be a nice segue into talking about my kind of favorite sci-fi bits and pieces is that m- my favorite film of all time and the film that i spend a lot of time with within the thesis is blade runner which of course is a an adaptation of a philip k dick novel very loose adaptation in many ways there's a lot of changes between them uh, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep and blade runner but uh but Blade Runner stands as, my, as absolutely my favourite film of all time. I absolutely loved the film. I think it's just completely enigmatic and, and just quite unlike anything that's ever been made before. And I was really delighted to sort of rediscover the film as a as a kind of almost as a parable about neurodiversity because this is a film where there are androids, cyborgs, replicants, robots who are neurodivergent. They're They're... they're they're different, yeah. and and they and the whole point of Blade Runner is that they are expressing and showing how emotional and empathetic they are in order to be taken seriously by a neurotypical society that's become extremely jaded and very bleak and very downcast. And here come these replicants who are just full of life and full of energy and see the world just that, that little bit differently. Um, and are uh, sort of rising up and, and, and expressing themselves. And I just thought, Wow, yeah, God, mm. this is a this is a film about neurodiversity. and it's and that's why I sort of started to look at it properly and, and a more deeply thesis.
0: Fun fact, uh, Daryl Hannah who played Chris, um, is on the autism spectrum. Um, She is indeed, yeah. And and, uh, one of her special interests um, is actually the environment. You know, she's been arrested several times for protesting (laughs) the environment. Um,
2: yeah. If there are um, any sort of listeners left out there or I know there are a number of people who sort of are still of the persuasion or, or still believe that people that are autistic don't have a sense of humour there, I just have to say, Dave, that I can't believe you've picked Blade Runner to discuss as your favourite film of all the things. I never would have expected that from you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I'm used to um, in, at you least it uh, didn't, uh, you know choose the second Blade Runner film, which um, I just a <laughs> sweep through.
2: Fantastic. And, uh, and you did my job for me, Dave. You know, you put me out of the job because you neatly segued into the final section of our interview game today, which is to talk about, um, you know, some of your favourite stuff, um, sci-fi, sort of, generally. Um, you know, I know, again, it's such a sort of... Di- it can be a difficult question to answer, yeah. and I think it can help, um, maybe to say, um, what are some of the uh, your earliest memories of seeing or reading sci-fi stuff from me being, I don't know, eight or nine or ten that really got you into it? Because I feel that if I was asked the question, that, they're the things that I would probably first go to, is that what made me, what were the first thing that made me go, wow, or, you know, I want to know more about this or that? Or
1: Yeah, that's a good question, actually. That is a good way of thinking about it, um, because I've obviously got loads of, loads of favourites up here, but... You're absolutely right. I can pinpoint a few from my childhood, um, and actually, it, it was more towards fantasy than it does towards sci-fi. I remember The Hobbit and Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy having a big impact, but largely because my my parents had these well loved, well thumbed, battered old copies on their bookshelves, and as soon as I read The Hobbit for the first time, I just fell into that world and was like, wow, what is this? This is incredible. And then I remember reading The the Lord of the Rings when I was in sort of my early teenage years and just thinking it was the most incredible thing. So they were definitely big influences. The the, the books that got me into the habit of reading a lot were the Goosebumps books, the Goosebumps horror books, um, which I loved and I still love. Um, And I used to just like devour them and i think my mum was delighted because she because she thought oh well here this is david reading reading books so she just kept buying me um more and more of the goosebumps books so i used to just i I used to love those and then um um there's one other book that's really important to me there's a book called ellador which is a by a guy called alan garner who's a fantasy writer
2: and uh, yeah yeah he wrote the the stone of
1: Prison Garden was it? Yeah, the Weird on of Prisingham. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a fascinating guy actually, a really fascinating writer, and he writes some very strange novels. Um, but Elidor was one of his earlier ones, and it's for children, and and that was that's a really magical book and actually quite a terrifying book as well in many ways. So that was a really big important one. And then when I actually started phasing off younger bits of reading into more adult bits of reading. The guy that pulled me into reading adult fiction was uh, Ian Banks, um, and I actually started off reading some of his non-sci-fi stuff, and I was felt very mature, and I was like, oh, this is really good. I'm, I'm a grown-up now. And then I discovered that he wrote sci-fi as well under the name Ian M Banks, and I started reading some of his novels, um, these big space operas, the culture series and just adored them and i've got them all here on my shelf and i just think they're wonderful so he's been one of my really big big guys um what i really like about Ian M. banks is that he does this he does massive sci-fi and a really big space opera kind of sci-fi. But he also retains, Actually, you've been saying all the way through this, actually, Ben, he retains a humanity to it all and a humour to it all. And he's got this really sort of dry Scottish wit that he brings to all of his books. And it's there in the sci-fi. And he doesn't get rid of it. He just he keeps the, the humour in there and the comedy in there. Um and i think he's wonderful um and sadly missed as well as he died a few years ago but uh at a at too young an age i think uh but he's uh yeah his sci-fi his sci-fi novels the culture series in particular are brilliant and my favorite among those is a book called Excession, session which i just it's just one of my favorite books of all time i love it um, um yeah yeah he's
2: definitely i think again you know i'm glad sort of things have changed now and um I don't sort of, I think it's important that um, I sort of mention this. I don't only really want to mention sort of, you know, white male authors, but <laughs> I think of what, of my, I'm 38, so I'm growing up in the sort of, you know, starting to read in the early 90s and even late 80s. I think probably if you, the two names that I feel dominated the 80s sci fi, probably like Douglas Adams and Ian M. Banks would have yeah. been the
1: names that I probably would have picked out, you know. Yeah, you're definitely right, I think, absolutely I know, and, no, and, and yeah, it, it, yeah I think you were right to point out that they were all white males, absolutely are, but um, in more recent years I have been making much more of an effort to read uh, female-authored uh, sci-fi and black-authored sci-fi as well, I'm, and I'm actually currently reading an Octavia Butler novel, which is a really good book, uh, parallel I
2: mean, I I'm sure you covered part of that in your PhD, and um, that was more, that wasn't me saying oh my gosh, so you do by the way no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologise I was sort of saying um, it's very I'm true that sort of web but it, it is you know it's um it's good that things have changed um, very important that things have but I think it's important to acknowledge how things were and oh, yeah. not brush over that otherwise we sort of we don't realise we're trying to change almost
0: this is very unsci-fi of me but I'm reading Edgar Rice Burroughs at the
2: moment oh wow you know, well I mean I think that I'm, I would safely say Dave <laughs> what do you think I think that Within the fantastical sort of, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, really. You know, it's um, I feel like they're almost anthropomorphising the animal, but not quite in some sort
0: of ways. Yeah, I'm reading um, I'm reading the Princess of Mars the moment because I've never actually yeah. read the John Carter series, and I was quite blown away by the fact that he he, he, astral, he, he astral travels to to Mars, <laughs> you, know, you, you, right. you know, nothing really happens, he just sort of like passes out and astro travels to mars yeah <laughs> well that's the easiest way of
1: getting there i suppose <laughs>
0: but it is an interesting thing for you though i mean the tarzan stories that, yeah. that he did um as um as someone on the spectrum i can sort of like um, kind of relate to tarzan and, and i can i kind of think that tarzan by by virtue of having been raised by apes in the jungle um kind of picked up artistic traits because his social skills were not that great <laughs> um, uh, he had heightened he had heightened senses um people with autism have heightened senses they also have a uh, you know muted senses like uh, they could have a very 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 poor sense of smell and poor sense of taste but yeah. they could also have um, an extremely you know heightened sense of hearing uh, which is you know what I have or the, the you know they've got you know we've got um got an extremely um and this is something that crosses the boundary across most of the spectrum, I think, but we've got an incredible eye for detail yeah and spotting yeah. the things that other people won't like uh, nine times out of ten we'll find wodo or Wongy on every single page wh why, while the uh average person's still looking for him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess some stuff like, like Sherlock comes to mind you know that's yeah. a good example of that um, how about shows Dave is there anything you're watching at the moment that's particularly exciting you or anything you're looking forward to in the cinemas coming out um, yeah good question
1: um uh, da, da, da. What have I been uh, watching recently? <sighs> Not a whole lot, actually. I must admit. Um, although I've been, re- I've been watching. You've lots been and too, lots busy and lots too, <laughs> too, too busy writing these. Yeah. busy I can't expect you
2: to have five minutes to watch.
1: This. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I tell you, there is something which I have fairly recently watched. I mean, it was like a, f- a few months ago now when I finished watching it. Um, but it was really helpful for me for a number of reasons because when I was coming towards the end of my PhD and everything was really busy and I needed, a, I needed a TV program that was easy to watch and just easy to digest and just something that there was lots of that I could just chuck on at the end of the day and, and feel comforted by. And I found the absolutely perfect show um, and it, I think it's still on Netflix, so people should be able to uh, catch it. It's um, Shira and the Princesses of Power, oh, the, wow. the, the remake, the sort of recent remake of right. it, which is a kind of animated series. It's for teenagers, really. It's for ki- for kids. But yeah. I came to it because I had a, a friend of mine was like, "Oh, this is this show is just brilliant. It's just genius from start to finish. It's really good. You should watch it." And I was like, "What are you serious? This is a kids' show." And they were like, "No, it's great." My girlfriend's daughter Lily
2: is. Um, she watched it all on Netflix. And sort of like wrote me into watching it a lot of the weather, which I was happy to do. And, um, you
0: know, it's certainly pretty different from the one I remember from the 80s. Mm. <laughs> I'm still brilliant. traumatized from the uh, 80s Christmas special that She and He Man did. Oh, still right. traumatized. I'm not from familiar that. with that. <laughs> you know, I've not recovered from that. It's, it's actually, you can find it on Netflix as well. No, 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 not Netflix, YouTube. Uh, yeah. Someone sent me a link to it over Christmas and, ah. Oh, Oh man, it's really sparking <laughs> our oh, back. A, yeah. uh, but uh, but... The, joking aside, there, there is actually a sequel series to He-Man coming to Netflix later this year. Oh, is there?
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: And it's, uh, <laughs> the, the, the animation's updated, but it, it continues the story on from where the original 80s series left off.
1: Uh-huh, Incredible, interesting. Well, I absolutely, I absolutely love Shira. It was just from start to finish. It's wonderful. Like my, my friend said to me that he puts it in the same category as like The Sopranos and Mad Men and all of these incredibly great and Breaking Bad. He says it's as good as all those, and I was like, no, surely not. And I totally agree with him. It's just oh, fantastic from start to finish. It's like five seasons of it, and it's just I was in floods of tears by the end of it. It is brilliant. <laughs> And
2: interestingly I've never understood this sort of silly notion of sort of people infantilizing something or yeah. you know, saying it can't be this good, it can't if it's a cartoon or if it's that or because if you know, if if, if people enjoy something, gosh knows what statistical not in the world can be hard, you know, we're all under a lot of pressure for different reasons and yeah. someone gets pleasure from something and someone thinks it's great, you know, why would you want to take that away from them? And, um, I'm really glad th- that you enjoyed it. Um, I believe there's a really sort of important relationship all the way through it between Shira and the anti the antagonist, and the protagonist. That's yes, something I do know. But I Katra.
1: might watch it all now, Dave. You've inspired me. I might you watch it. Check it out. It's brilliant. And that relationship between Shira and Katra, who's like the main antagonist, is is one of the finest, um, yeah, relationships ever ever written on screen. It's just brilliant, and the way that they get through that is Shakespearean. I mean, it's just fantastic. And, and interestingly actually connecting to the, our conversation there's also an autistic character in there a really interesting one called um, Entraptor, who's one of the who's one of the princesses of power so yeah it's worth watching for her as well and she's quite interesting in many ways
2: yeah Lily definitely loved the show you know for loads of reasons and um, I think it's great you know Lily's sort of 13 years old to yeah. watch stuff that represents the changing world around her that we didn't get you know I didn't get to see you know we I didn't get to see and, and I know um, you're you you round about our age group, aren't you, Dave?
1: A little bit younger, but yeah, similar. I mean, yeah, thirties. So
2: yeah. Even even then, probably in the late sort of nineties, early two thousands, he still wouldn't have had mainstream representation of sort of.
1: Really important stuff Then I don't, I don't think you know, so. No not at all And you're right and, and She-Ra does do that Really well And it's a very Very queer friendly programme I mean it puts queerness Front and centre really and, and I think that was just Like so important It's brilliant It's really brilliant
2: Fantastic Dave Well I think that um, Pretty much wraps it up um, Just to sort of summarise um, You know We started talking about I, I had a conversation with Dave About his PhD And um, we will be putting, I will be putting a feature together in the next couple of weeks that will incorporate a link to that and encourage people to check out. Um, academic writing can be difficult to sort of read. Dave's tried to make his, in my opinion, as accessible as possible and as human and engaging. Um, so have a, have a look at that. See what you think. Um, Dave's new collection is out on the 27th of May. Is that right, Dave? Yeah. yeah, that's the right. Yeah. Press. Um, so I'll be looking forward to reading that. Again, I'll include a link to Dave's blog um, which sort of tells you the various authors that he works with. Um, hello to um, Foy on the World Press and Isabel Kenyon who has provided myself with copies of books um, enabling me to read Dave's works, which is Pigskin. I'll, um, once my live link is up and running, I will also put a, um, a link to that. And we heard from Dave about his experiences of representation um, in sort of plethora of um, sci-fi literature and his favourite stuff. It's been amazing to have you on the show, Dave. Um, Is there anything that I haven't covered that you would like to say or anyone you want to say hello to or, you
1: know, Uh, anyone you want to plug? <laughs> I don't want to you. No, I think you've done a really thorough job, and thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if I will just say, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, then I'm on uh, at D Hartley Writer. come along, and that's where I spend most of my uh, online time. I think so. That's where you'll find me. But no, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. For inviting me on and for, for chatting in such a really interesting way. And it's been so brilliant also to talk to two autistic people about this. I mean, it's it's always so much better to talk to autistic people who just don't get it about this kind of topic. And it's it's really nice to be able to do that. So thanks, guys.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, um Dave. You know, thanks for educating us, informing us and entertaining us and um, yeah. you your time. and we will now, you know, eternally consider for friend the sci-fi pulse and hopefully. We'll hear from you again, you know, perhaps um, in the future you're always welcome to come back on the show or a guest feature or something,
1: you know, I don't know. Thank you, yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. I'd I'd happily do anything and everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Dave, listen, you take care and thank you again for your time today. It's been amazing having you on the show.
1: Thanks very much Ben, thanks (laughs) Aidan.
2: Hi, this is Jeff Nimoy, and you're listening to SFP
0: now on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. And that about wraps uh, up this week's episode of the SFP. Now, Uh, nice to thank uh, my friend Ben for riding shotgun with us, and also great thanks to Dave Hartley for. having uh, provided so much insight about his PhD and his books and and everything. So thank you. That's it now. Goodbye.